Well, thank you. Well, we might as well have our altar call now. Let's bow our heads. So, um, um, I always forget how tall you are. Okay, there we go. <laughs> so as we continue on through First Timothy, um, like um, like Pastor Ben said, I'm reminded of how Paul wrote this letter to be an encouragement to Timothy. Timothy was a young pastor, and he was at a church that seemed to have a lot of problems. And to me, it's cool to see how Paul cares for Timothy and how he supports Timothy, even how he encourages Timothy to persevere and grow despite everything that he's going through. And studying through 1 Timothy, I can't help but continually think of the different mentors that have spoken into my life, like Pastor said about Jeff Grinnell. That there are people like Paul who have encouraged me and motivated me and inspired me in the good and through the bad. And that's why it's such an honor to be able to preach the word today and to share it with you. It's easy for me to come up here on stage and to sing and to play the guitar. It, it's almost like second nature. I can do it with my eyes closed. Most of these songs I have memorized. Um, but to come on stage and to preach in front of everyone, to share from God's word is completely different. It's really intimidating um, to me. And this is uh, only the second time uh, that I've ever preached a full sermon. And I, I realized this morning as I was praying, I'm like, man, I'm not as nervous this time around as I was the last time I, I spoke here in October. And as I was praying, I was like, oh, yeah, it was a week before I got married the first time that I preached at this church. And, of course, I am a lot less stressed this time than before. Um, <laughs> but it's opportunities like this that make me realize how young I am and how much growing I need. Um, but it's also things like this that make me appreciate the people around me. I feel like Pastor Ben has been a mentor to me like Paul has been to Timothy. And since coming on staff a year and a half ago, there have been countless times where you sat me down and reminded me that not only am I called to ministry, but that I'm called here to the Gateway Church. And that encouragement has motivated me um, time and time again. He has challenged me to grow and has encouraged me whenever I've been down or frustrated, and even though I have very, very little preaching experience, like I've said, he has given me the opportunity to grow by letting me speak here today, and I'm so honored. So when I read passages like the one we are about to read today, I can't help but think of my relationship with Pastor Ben. And with that, let's open up to 1 Timothy chapter 6. Before Easter, Pastor Ben preached about false teaching and the love of money. False teaching is a big theme throughout Paul's letter. This was the main opposition facing Timothy and his church. And so it may sound redundant hearing about it, but everything Paul writes in this letter is in reference to what Timothy was facing. It's like listening to a story about World War II and continually hearing about Nazi Germany over and over again. So false teaching is the antagonist of this story, and this is Paul's final encouragement to Timothy before he hits the beaches of Normandy. And so let's stand together and let's read from God's word. And if you feel so inclined, you can read along with me. But you, man of God, flee from all this and pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, endurance, and gentleness. Fight the good fight of the faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called when you made your good confession in the presence of many witnesses. 
in the sight of God who gives life to everything and of Christ Jesus who while testifying before Pontius Pilate made the good confession I charge you to keep this command without spot or blame until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ which God will bring about in his own time. God, the blessed and only ruler, the King of kings and the Lord of lords, who alone is immortal and who lives in unapproachable light, whom no one has seen or can see, to him be honor and might forever. Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Dear Jesus, we just thank you. We thank you for your word that we are challenged to grow by it, and we just pray that you would just illuminate the words today. Make your living word bring life to us. Challenge us today. Just soften our hearts right now to be open to you, that you would speak into our hearts any areas where we may need to change, that you would speak into our lives times where we need encouragement. And we just thank you for your word today. Help us to grow. Help us to learn more about you. And out of that, help us to love you. And we just give you all the glory and honor and praise today in your name. Amen. Amen. You can be seated. Yeah, the first thing that sticks out to me in this passage is how Paul calls Timothy a man of God. And this is a term used only one other time in the entire New Testament. And even though it is rarely used in the New Testament, it is a phrase that is used 68 times in the Old Testament. Man of God was a title common to biblical prophets. It was a title of allegiance and authority. Paul is reminding Timothy who he is fighting for. He is a man of God unlike the false teachers. He is on the winning team. And not only so, but by calling him man of God, Paul is comparing Timothy to his heroes. He's saying, Timothy, you know all those prophets you've read about? the ones who stood up to wicked kings and false prophets, the ones who brought down fire from heaven and spoke the very words of God, you have that same authority. You have that same power because you, like them, are a man of God. We need to remember that we are on the winning team. We can have boldness and confidence because God is on our side. We are no longer marked by our past sins, our past mistakes. We are no longer alienated from God. If we have accepted Christ as our Savior and Lord, then we are men and women of God. We are his children. Because Timothy is a man of God, Paul reminds him of four things he needs to do. And these are traits that Timothy must exhibit because he is a man of God. Paul isn't saying he needs to do these things in order to be a man of God, but that as a man of God, these are four things he must continue to do. So what are four traits of a man or woman of God? The first trait is that a man or woman of God is to flee from sin. Timothy's opponents were lovers of money and loved stirring up controversy, but Timothy needed to flee those things. And this is something we need to be reminded of. There are certain things a man or woman of God must flee from. The Bible mentions several things specifically that Christians should flee. In 1 Corinthians 6.18, Paul mentions that Christians need to flee from sexual immorality. We need to be careful of some of the TV shows we watch or some of the magazines we look at. We need to be careful of some of the conversations we have with people of the opposite sex. 
Many marriages and lives have been ruined because men and women of God thought they could withstand the enticing pool of sexual immorality. Later in the same letter, Paul mentions that Christians also need to flee from idolatry. We need to get rid of anything in our lives that is in front of God. We need to run from the idea that anything is better than God. We need to live, um, and we live in an age where people rely on themselves for anything. And they see themselves as their own saviors. But we need to realize that the more dependent we are on God, the more strength we have because the God of the universe is on our side. Amen? The main thing we need to realize here, too, is that Paul isn't just saying that Timothy shouldn't partake in these things. Paul isn't telling Timothy to hold his ground. Paul is telling Timothy to run, to flee, and to get as far away from these things as possible. If you're swimming in the ocean and you see a shark, you don't think, gee, I wonder if he's friendly. I should go over there and swim in him and try to pet him, you know? Unless you're Pastor Ben. Pastor Ben would definitely try to do that. Um, <laughs> but no, if you tried to do that, the shark would probably take a piece of you with him, wouldn't he? Sometimes in battle, those fighting need to retreat. They need to regroup and regain strength so that they can live to fight another day. The next thing Paul says is that a man or woman of God follows after Christ. And with that, let's turn to Colossians 3. It's really common for us as Christians to say everything we are against. Christians are almost known for being anti-this or anti-that, and we are so good at saying everything we are against that we forget to say the things that we are for. Just because someone isn't doing the wrong thing, it doesn't therefore mean they are doing the right thing. That's the point Paul is trying to make in 1 Timothy and in Colossians. I think this passage in Colossians paints a really vivid picture of what a man or woman of God must do. So let's read um, Colossians 3, verses 9 and 10. Paul says, Do not lie to each other, since you have taken off your old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge and the image of its creator. Paul likens the vices and virtues of this world to clothing a person must take off and put on. A man or woman of God is to take off the old clothes of their past. They must flee from sin. But if they don't do anything from there, what are they? They're spiritually naked. Just because a person comes to church and tries not to sin, that doesn't mean they are doing what God wants them to do. After we take off our old self and our old practices, we need to put on the character of Christ. So let's take a look back at what Paul says in Timothy. He says that we need to pursue righteousness, uh, righteousness, godliness, faith, love, endurance, and gentleness. What I love specifically about this list that Paul gives here is that it deals with the way a Christian should behave towards God, towards the church, and towards the outside world. And this follows perfectly with the mission of the Gateway Church, and I love it. It's one of my favorite things about this passage. If we are faithfully living out the mission of our church, then we should be actively pursuing each of these six virtues. The first two virtues here have to deal with our relationship towards God. A man or woman of God must be righteous and be godly. 
And to be righteous means to always strive to be in right standing or in a right relationship with God. Don't try to figure out a way for God to justify whatever you want to do. Don't try to make God fit your agenda. You strive to figure out what God wants for you. And to pursue godliness is closely associated with it. And this is the idea of acting as though you are in a right standing with God. To be righteous is like a judge in court declaring a person to be innocent. Now whether that person is a good person or not doesn't matter. Like a person declared innocent, being godly is walking out the door and not breaking the law anymore. Their actions have to follow their status. Now that we have a good relationship with God, now that we are righteous, now that we are on God's side, we need to fight on his side. We need to be godly. The next two virtues deal with our relationships within the church. A man of God must be faithful and loving as well. These two words are oftentimes used to sum up the role of the church. Immediately, I think of 1 Corinthians 13, where Paul says that all that remains is faith, hope, and love. And in 1 and 2 Timothy, these two words are almost always used next to each other. Paul is saying that we need to trust God for everything. We need to have faith. He will supply our needs. He will take care of us. And out of that trust, we can actively love. And this is more than just a feeling. This is an action. We need to not just say we love people. We need to actually love them. And this isn't just loving the poor, doing something to help the needy. Sometimes loving people even means pointing out the sin in their lives. By living out of faith and love, we fulfill our mission as a church. The last two things Paul says to pursue are endurance and gentleness. This is how we deal with the outside world. Endurance here always has the idea of suffering behind it. It's the idea of pressing on regardless of the circumstances. It's the capacity to hold out in the face of difficulty. Biblical scholar William Muntz says, For Paul, endurance is a Christian virtue resulting from faith and hope and has strong connections with love. It endures evil and suffering now, even to the point of realizing that the one enduring is called to suffer, but it will result in character, reigning with Christ, and eternal life. Gentleness has the same idea behind it. This is a word only used here in the entire New Testament. It is actually a compound word using the typical word for gentleness along with the word to suffer. Being a man or woman of God isn't just about being gentle. It's about being able to hold our composure when we are being wronged. Sometimes we will be wronged. We will be hurt by those outside uh, in the outside world and even by those within the church. There will be times when we will want to get angry or get defensive or get bitter. But how we respond to those who hurt us, how we respond to those who wrong us, will reflect how others perceive God in our lives. Someone once said to me that sometimes we are the only Bible our friends and family will ever read. Some may never walk into a church. Some may never pick up a Bible. But if someone knows we are a Christian, 
They will look at our lives and see what we believe as a representation of our God. What perception of God are you presenting to others? Do you lash out at others when you get wronged, giving the appearance that God is angry and vindictive? Do you play the victim and make it seem like God is weak or deceitful? We need to make sure our endurance and gentleness are a reflection of the grace and mercy of God. Next, Paul says that a man or woman of God fights the good fight. And with that, let's turn to Ephesians 6. Pastor John Lindell, who pastors in Springfield, Missouri, one of Pastor Ben's old pastors, once said that as soon as someone is saved, they become part of a cosmic battle. There's a spiritual battle that takes place in the lives of all people. In Ephesians 6 and verses 10 through 13, it says, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. And after you have done everything, to stand. There are things in our lives that we need to run from. There are things in our lives that we should strive for, and there are times in our lives where we need to hold our ground. There are times where we need to stand firm. There are times where we need to persevere. Jesus is calling us to join his army, and those of us who have accepted Jesus into our heart have enlisted into his service. Fighting the good fight isn't just about standing your ground, but it's also about being a good soldier. A soldier doesn't decide what battle he wants to fight. A soldier doesn't decide where he wants to go. Talk to anyone who has enlisted, and they'll tell you. I've had one friend that was moved from Missouri to Texas and back. He has moved there three times since 2012. A soldier doesn't make his own orders. A soldier is given orders. A soldier is assigned where to serve, and he is given instructions on what battles to fight. Just like a soldier in the United States military, we are in the Lord's army. Amen? How many know that song from back in the day? Anyone know that song? I'm in the Lord's army. Awesome. Well, we're going to sing it. You guys ready? And if you don't know it, it goes to the tune of the old gray mare, and the words should be on the screen. So I'm excited. And so if you're ready, and if you know it, you got to do the motions. I see Marilyn standing up. I think she's getting ready for the motions. If you know it, you got to do the motions. All right? You ready? You ready? I'm going to look like an idiot if you don't sing. So, all right. So, I may never march in the infantry, ride in the cavalry, shoot the artillery. I may never fly over the enemy, but I'm in the Lord's army. I'm in the Lord's army, yes, sir. I'm in the Lord's army, yes, sir. 
I may never march in the infantry, ride in the cavalry, shoot the artillery. I may never fly over the enemy, but I'm in the Lord's army. Awesome. Give your guys a hand of applause. You guys are awesome. And for you guys that didn't sing, I'm sorry. God's not going to bless you. So, <laughs> I love that song. It's such a great song. But a soldier is willing to give his life up for his country. And a man or woman of God should be willing to give up his or her life for their faith. We need to give our lives to God as an offering. Not only does Paul say in 1 Timothy that we need to fight, but that we need to fight the good fight of the faith. We need to stand up and fight for our convictions. We need to stand up and defend the truth. We need to not be ashamed of being a Christian, but we need to wear it as a badge of honor. The last characteristic is that a man or a woman of God firmly grasps eternal life. Sometimes the soldier forgets why he went to war. He gets so lost in his mission and serving that he forgets the people whose freedom he is ensuring. Paul's reminding Timothy why he is fighting. Paul's reminding Timothy of the end prize of his perseverance, which is eternal life. We need to look at our current struggles through the lens of eternity. This is something really powerful that Pastor Ben said yesterday at Charlie's funeral. Compared to eternity, our lives are just a drop in the ocean. Things might be difficult now, but this life is temporary. And knowing that there is an afterlife gives us motivation to keep moving forward. It reminds us of our priorities. Paul says to Timothy in, first, uh, in, uh, in verse 12 to take hold of eternal life. Paul is urging Timothy to take hold of this concept, to grasp it with all of his might and never let it go. And thinking of this illustration reminds me of a clip from the movie Hook. Who all has seen that movie? Robin Williams. I know, it's one of my favorite movies. In this movie, Peter Pan has left Neverland, and he has grown up and forgot about everything from his childhood. It wasn't until his children were kidnapped by Captain Hook that Peter returns to Neverland. He relearns everything from when he was young, but no matter how hard Pan tries, he just can't find his happy thought. He has forgotten how to fly. And it wasn't until he discovers his old hiding spot that Peter remembers why he left Neverland in the first place and how happy he truly was. And so with that, we are going to watch a short clip from Hook. I can see why you have trouble finding a happy thought. So many sad memories, Peter. Hi, Daddy. Daddy. Peter, your daddy. <laughs> Hi, Jack. I know why I came back. I know why I grew up. I wanted to be a father. I'm a daddy. A happy thought. I got it. I got it. I found it! <laughs> I lost it! Ah! Just 
watched that video as a kid, and I was like, oh, he found his happy thought. He's flying. And now when I watch that as an adult, I'm like, oh, <laughs> I'm not even a dad. And man, I can only imagine how some of you are feeling. But when we are reminded that our actions have an eternal impact, it changes our attitude towards that situation. Paul is telling Timothy to hold on to this happy thought. Jesus is coming again. He will make everything better. In the end, we win. Death is defeated. Satan is conquered. We are on the winning team. Paul is saying to hold on to that thought, and it will help us through until the end. Just hold on to that happy thought. Notice that all these commands are actions. A man or woman of God will flee from sin. They'll follow after Christ. They fight the good fight, and they firmly grasp eternal life. We can know all the right things we're supposed to do, but if we don't do them, we, are acting, uh, we aren't acting like men and women of God. We need discernment to know what to do, and we need to do more than talk about it. We can know everything about the weapons we use and the enemy we are fighting, but if we never step foot onto the battlefield, we aren't a true soldier. We are merely on the sidelines. Samantha, you can come up. But how can we do this? Timothy can't do this on his own. To help him persevere, to help him encourage him, Paul reminds him of Jesus' faithfulness and of God the Father's might. Paul reminds Timothy of the confession that was made when he was baptized. Paul wants to remind Timothy of what he said when he committed his life to Jesus. And I love the baptisms we had here last Sunday. It's amazing to hear the stories of how God has changed people's lives. But even more so for me, it reminded me of what God had brought me through. I was a juvenile delinquent. I got arrested for breaking and entering at the age of 14. And I grew up in a house where God wasn't welcomed. I went to church until I was about four or five years old, and then I never went back again until I got saved. I brought my family with him, uh, with me. And without God, I would have got uh, gone off the deep end after my parents' divorce. Um, I got saved after I broke into that house. Six months later, I brought my older sister to church, and then six months later after that, my parents got a divorce. I found out that my dad had been addicted to painkillers for over 30 years. It's just amazing what God has brought me through. God has saved my life in more than one way. I'm continually reminding myself of that. And after Paul reminds Timothy of his confession of faith at baptism, he mentions the confession Jesus made before Pontius Pilate, before he was crucified. Paul is trying to encourage Timothy to be faithful no matter what. Jesus stood before Rome's representative, and wouldn't back down. And even more so than that, Pilate was looking for a reason not to crucify him. Read it in the Gospels. But Jesus wouldn't stray from his proclamation that he was the Messiah, that he was the King of the Jews, and that he alone would save Israel. 
if Jesus could take his confession all the way to death, if he could be faithful until he breathed his last breath, then Timothy could get through everything he's been going through. You know, we serve a God who knows what we've been through. God isn't some supreme being watching us from the clouds, laughing as his, uh, at his creation as we stumble through the dark. But God sent his son Jesus to show us how to walk in the light. We don't have to go up to God because God came down to us. Jesus knows what we've been through. He's faced everything we've faced Yet he was faithful. His example gives us strength to move forward. Not only do we need to remember that Jesus is faithful, but we need to remember that God is able. Paul spends the last section of this passage honoring God, reminding Timothy of the amazing God he serves. At the end of verse 15, Paul says, God, the blessed and only ruler, the King of kings and Lord of lords, who alone is immortal, who lives in unapproachable light, who no one has seen or can see. To him be honor and might forever. Amen. God alone is sovereign. He is the king over every king. He has no master. He is the Lord of lords. He has no beginning or no end. All life springs from him. He is the immovable mover. He is the uncaused causer. We cannot see or even begin to fathom his glory. He is our strong God. He loves us and he is fighting for us. He holds the world in his hands and yet he lives in our hearts. We can trust him with our problems. We can trust him for healing. We can trust him with our finances. We can trust him to raise our children because he is in control. At the end of this passage, Paul says, to him be honor and might forever. Do you notice anything weird about how Paul ends this prayer? Paul doesn't say, to him be honor and glory forever, like he usually does. No, he says, to him be honor and might forever. And reminding Timothy that he is a man of God, Paul is reminding him that he is God's man. Paul is reminding him of how great God is. God is with him. God is for him. God will empower him. God sees Timothy, and he is in control. To him be honor and might forever. So let's stand together and let's sing that. I love that song, Strong God. If you need to believe that this morning, just call out. Just let him know that he is there, that he is strong, that he is mighty, and that he is able. God, you are mighty. You see us in our time of need. 
You see us when we struggle and things that we need to flee from. You help encourage us for the things we need to strive for. You empower us as we fight the good fight. And you remind us of the end prize. You are great. You are glorious. You are mighty. You are awesome, God. To you be honor and might forever. Amen. Amen. As we um, bow our heads and close our eyes, maybe you've heard this message and, and, um, and you heard about what it means to be a man or a woman of God. Maybe you don't serve Jesus. Maybe you aren't a part of his army. But you're saying, Jesus, I want to know you. I want to fight on your side. I want to be right with you. I want the God of the universe to fight for me. I want to pray a prayer, and this is a, there's nothing powerful in the prayer itself, but it's just making a declaration to God, that you will be in his service, that you will fight on his side, that you will be a man of God. So let's repeat this together. Let's everyone repeat this. Let's just say, God, I realize that I'm a sinner and I need you. Come into my heart. Forgive me of my sin. I want to be a man or woman of God. Jesus, I give my life to you. In your name, amen. Now with our heads bowed and our eyes closed still, maybe you're here, you're a man or woman of God, but you're struggling. Maybe you aren't fleeing from the right things. Maybe you aren't striving for the right things. Maybe you aren't even putting up a fight. Maybe you've been looking at your own situation, your own circumstances, and you forgot about the eternal impact that your life can make. Or maybe you're trying. Maybe you're trying to go through all these things on your own, but you forget of the God who is mighty. You forget of the God that is able You forgot about the example of Christ and you were trying to go on your own. That's you if you need help, if you need God, if you want to strive in those areas so that you can be the man or woman of God that God has called you to be. I just want you to raise your hand. Just as a declaration, as a sign that God, we need you every day, every hour every minute. You are worthy. You are glorious. You are awesome, and we are sorry. We've tried to do it on our own for so long. Remind us that we love because you loved us, that we are forgiven because you have forgiven us, and that we have victory only through you that you are the way, the truth, and the life, and the more dependent we are on you, 
the stronger we are. Because you're acting on our behalf. It's, all, it's not our own strength. Your power is made perfect in our weakness. Lord God, we give our lives to you. And I just pray as we go from here that we would act, that we would be men and women of God, not by proxy, that we would be men and women of God, not just by name or by title, but that we would be men and women of God by our actions, by the fruit that we bear, that we would pursue righteousness and godliness and faith and love and endurance and gentleness in every area of our lives. We just give you the glory. We give you the honor. To you be honor and might forever. And all God's people said, amen. Amen. God is good. Amen. He makes all things new. All things new. And let's just say one more prayer of benediction. Then as you make your way out, greet one another. Have some time fellowshipping with each other. And uh, we hope to see you Friday. But dear God, just go before us. Be behind us. Go all around us. And let us live according to your word. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. God bless you as you go.